Well, good morning. So glad you're here today. Uh, I'm going to be reading aloud from the scriptures we're looking at this morning, and I want to talk to you today about three ways Christians act in the world that can change the conversation in the world. So uh, thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's Word. I'll be reading out of Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 57. It'll be on the screen, and you can follow along as I read aloud. As they, this is the disciples and Jesus, were walking along the road, a man said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, well, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. Well, we've been all summer in a series on the Psalms, and we're shifting back to what we've been doing for the balance of the year, and we're talking about the Gospel of Luke, working our way all the way through the Gospel of Luke. And um, this is kind of a precursor message to the series we're going to begin next week. We're gonna, the series is called Resistance. We're going to look at the, the things Jesus said are fighting you, and we're going to talk about how you can fight what's fighting you next week. So it's Back to Church Sunday. Here's what, can I ask a favor? Would you do something for me? We're going to give you some tools this week to do this, but would you send a message to five different people that you just haven't seen in a while and go, hey, I, 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 I hope to see you. It's Back to Church Sunday. I'd love to see you on Sunday and eat some breakfast with you. Would you do that for me? Would you just, I, we're going to dedicate ourselves right now. Just raise your hand really high. Come on, all the way up, all the way up. All the people are going to do it. Like some of you are like, well, I'll think about it. Uh, so here's what I want you to do. Would you do this? Would you take out your phone? And I want you to take a picture of this screen right here, because this is going to be a helpful series. We're going to talk about some of the things Jesus talks about that, that fight against us, and it's going to help you. And so I want you to take a picture of it, and I want you to go, and this is what, this is what we're going to talk about. And I think, I think it'd be helpful to you. So do that, do that this week. Three actions Christians take that if, if we do them, Christians have always done these things, sometimes really well, sometimes not that if we did them consistently would change the conversation. I don't want to say something so grandiose as like it would change the world because I don't know that I have control over the world. But you know what I do have control over? My world. And I think if we were to listen to what Jesus has to say here and put it into practice, these are things that could change my world, your world. So I want to offer them uh, to you, and, um, and, and I, just, I just think it would change the conversation for you. Now, I want to make sure, because I said this is uh, three actions that Christians take. I, I, just, it's, I, I get it. It's Labor Day weekend. If you're driving down the road, please keep driving down the road. Don't look at me right now. But if you're here in the room, I, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. about when we say, a Christian, what are we talking about? Um, we're not talking about the religious version of a Boy Scout. We're not talking about someone who is a moral jerk. We're not talking about someone who is a, a mat that people just walk over. We're not talking about that. There are two realities that are true um, at the same time about a Christian, and, and this is how you can know. Am I a Christian? Am I not? Number one, a Christian is someone who is in by God's grace. In what? In God's family. You're welcomed in, you're forgiven for your past, you're forgiven for your sins, 
God loves and accepts you and welcomes you into, not, not because you did so great, but because you were hurting and God said, I, I see a place for you and you're in by God's grace and so you're in God's family and so you can, you can then be a person of grace. So first, a Christian is someone who's in by grace and then, this is also just as important, a Christian is someone who takes on the family name and the character traits of the family of God more and more. You following me? Two realities. Number one, in by grace. You didn't, you didn't earn this. Number two, you take on the family traits and you say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live that out. Now, that order is actually very important because it doesn't go like this. You're not a Christian because God goes, you know what? You're doing a great job at keeping my laws and commandments and you're, you're doing everything. I see how hard you're working. I see that you're a good person. I see that you try to be honest. I mean, I know by the one time you did that one thing, but you're doing, you're, you got more good than bad and so I'm going to welcome you in. That's not how it works. You're not, that's, that's a reversal. You don't earn your place at the table. You're given your place at the table as a gift of God's love and grace for you. So Christianity doesn't start with merit. It starts with grace. But then there's this crisis that's happening. You're, you're aware of it. That there are a, a number of people. Uh, you could argue that it's people's perceptions. You could argue that Christians are not doing so great. That Christians are not doing a great job at representing Jesus. I, I, I think if you took a poll, and people have done polls on all of these things, and you said, you know, how do you feel about Christians? And not good, not good. Crisis, crisis level. And so we're going to talk today about how you can change that conversation and actually be a representative of Jesus in a way that people say, I'd like to be like that. Now, there, there are all these Christians, and they're, they're not acting like Christians. And that means one of two things is happening. Either those people don't know that they're in by grace and so they believe they're earning and so they're self-righteous. You need, don't, you, don't you just hate self-righteous people? I mean, I know I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the other people that you can look down your nose at. Are you talking? No. I, I, I'm, I'm joking when I say that. Because when you know you're in by grace, you don't even look down your nose at other people. <laughs> you, you just, that doesn't even happen. There, there are people who go, okay, I, I earn my place, and so that's how you become self-righteous is by feeling like you're doing a great job compared to somebody else. So either those people don't understand grace, or they don't think they have to worry about taking on the family traits, and they go, well, I'm in by grace, man. I can do whatever I want. You know, God's not going to judge me. And what I'm trying to talk to you about today out of the teaching of Jesus is it's, this is the, the opportune moment for you and I to accept the family values of the kingdom of God and build out of that a stable life. So three ways that Christians act in the world. These are from Jesus. Here's, here's the three things I'm going to talk to you about, and then I'll talk to you about them. Number one, how do we measure greatness as Christians? Number two, how do we act toward people who are different than us as Christians? Number three, how do we respond when people don't agree with us? And then what's the context that we do all that in? Those three things. Ready? Okay. All right. How do we measure greatness? This, is, uh, this passage that I read to you is a, a, a section in the ministry of Jesus, and we're going to look at the sections that came before it. So Luke chapter 9, verse 46 through 48, be on the screen. Um, An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Now, I know you've never thought that. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him and said to him, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you, who is the greatest. Now, this is a common human reality. I just, let's put us all on the same page here. 
everybody, me included, you included, wants to be great, meaning this. Everybody wants to have their piece of the pie. Everybody in the end wants to be a somebody. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you, are you following what I'm saying there? This is a common human reality. You want to be somebody. I want to be somebody. This is human. It's the, it's the question we ask ourselves. Is there enough? And am I valuable? Everybody wants to know the answers to those questions. So that's the common human reality. Now here's the common human problem. Because how we try to solve that problem is by saying, okay, I want to know, is there enough and am I valuable? And the way we try to solve the problem is we try to grab our spot. Have you ever attended a concert and it's one of those concerts where it's open seating and you wait and somebody you want to see and you know what happens when they open the gate, right? You know, there's like some jostling. I, I, uh, I one time, I've repented of this. This was a, a horrific sin that I committed one time because I vowed I would never, ever do it, but I did one time, and I'm just confessing it here to you. I went to Black Friday. <laughs> I went shopping on Black Friday. And uh, I'll never do it again. Um, I was wrapped around the store, the back end of the store at Target, and you know how, well, maybe you don't know. I hope you don't know. I hope you're among the holy who don't know. <laughs> They opened the door, and it was just bottoms and elbows, like, everywhere, right? I mean, just like, what, what were people doing? They're, they're solving the common human reality, the, the common human way, which is to say, I'm going to grab my spot. There's not enough to go around. I have to take it. Now, when you read this passage, we have a tendency to get all judgy of the disciples, and we say, I mean, I would never do that. I would never say who's going to be the greatest. But I want to point out to you that we only think that because of what it is that Jesus did right here in this passage. For most of human history, I don't know if you recognize this or not, greatness was measured by how much greater you were than somebody else. In the day, in Rome, the, the way greatness was measured was by how much and how strong you were and how able you were to crush other people, to own people. I've told you this before, but Aristotle is famous for saying that there are just some classes of people who were made to be slaves. And the more people you crushed, the greater that you were. And there was not a place in the social strata for people who had any kind of weakness or vulnerability. In fact, Mercy wasn't a value, it was a weakness. Like that, that's, that was human history. That's been most of human history until Jesus does this right here. So the disciples are only doing what everybody else was doing. They're just saying to Jesus, Jesus, you know how the world works. You just have to grab your spot. Everybody's worried about this, Jesus, and we are too. Now, what Jesus does right here literally changed the world. He takes this little child and he puts the child here and he says, I'm telling you who's great. It's the least, not the, not the best. And Jesus radically reordered the value system of the world. So even if you're not a person of faith, I promise you, you, you look at the vulnerable and you look at the weak and you go, yeah, we ought to take care of them because of Jesus. Because you know, like I know, that in the world system we live in, there are winners and there are losers and there are haves and there are have-nots. And so everybody is grabbing and nobody is helping so who will forego the grabbing 
and help. Now, I want you to, in another place in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is commenting on the same issue. Matthew chapter 23, verse 11. I'll put it on the screen for you. Jesus says this. The greatest among you is the one who what? Serves. So here's how Christians define greatness and do greatness. We don't grab our spot. We serve. Greatness is measured by how we serve, not what we have or our position in life. Now, that's entirely contrary to how the world works. I was uh, in college. I was going to a seminar. I was with a friend, and we were going to a seminar, and it was uh, a seminar on preaching and leading. And I was studying for ministry, and and I got in this seminar. There was about 6,000 people in a room. And one of the people who was presenting was John Maxwell. You may know the name. At that time, he was a pastor. John Maxwell was a pastor for 25 years, did a great job pastoring multiple churches. And then for the last 25 or 30 years, he's been in the leadership space. And he's seen, if you are into these things, he's seen as one of the premier teachers on leadership, a devout follower of Jesus, shares his faith all the time, has massive impact and influence and so I was there to hear that he was kind of a rising star. And I thought, well, I'm going to go learn from this guy with my friend. And so we went and sat and listened to this guy say these things. We didn't understand it in our early 20s. And somehow my friend was able to get us in the room at lunchtime. It was maybe 30 people in the room. And somehow, I still to this day, I can't figure out how in the world. I mean, there's nothing in us that would mean we ought to be in that room. Somehow he got us into the room. And so we're there for lunch with John Maxwell and this other presenter. And uh, I'm I'm telling you, I I remember that because of who it was, but this is why I remember the lunch so well. We walk in and we bumped into the two speakers and we're just kind of like fanboying, like, oh, oh my word, wow. John Maxwell. And uh, they, we sat, took our seat, and it was in a big horseshoe in the room, and we were sitting over here. And I, I watched this guy, first out of the corner of my eye, but then I started to watch him. It was this older gentleman. He had to be probably in his 70s. I didn't know his name. I think he probably was introduced, but I don't remember his name. But here's what I remember. He was willingly taking the lowest spot and serving everyone. He was walking around, can I get you more to drink? He worked for the organization, but he's, he was without question a servant. You could, you could, the demeanor of his heart and the way he served just radiated. You know how people radiate who they are? It just radiated off of him. So much so that in my mind, when I hear Jesus talk about serving and I watched that man and how he just took the lowest place. He didn't need to be important. And I, I vaguely remember that when they introduced him, he kind of just did a, you know, don't, don't introduce me. So much so that when I think about someone serving, I don't think about this big name person that everybody you know, commands, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars when he speaks today. I think about that man. That's what Jesus was talking about. We don't grab our spot. We serve. That's how we measure greatness. Well, how do we act toward people that are different than us? The next little section, Luke 9, 49 and 50, the, the interaction goes on with Jesus and his disciples. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out. They just don't even get what happened with Jesus. They just skip right on to the next thing, just like you and me. We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you 
is for you. Now, there's a common human reality here that people are different than us. I know you're glad you got up today and you put on pants and you drove all the way here or you're driving down the road and you figured out how to tune in for me to tell you there are people in the world that are different than you. You're welcome. You're welcome. People see the world different than us. That's just a a given human reality. There's blue collar and there's white collar. There's people from the south and there's people from the north. I laughed one time. We lived north for a number of years and I have relatives from the south and so I'm used to southern hospitality and and northern folks are just, there's just a different kind of thing. It's interesting when you travel parts of the country, you live in places. And, and these people from the north who I would always describe as kind of like the weather, they just kind of warm up. You have to warm up to them, you know. Uh, whereas at the south, they just greet you like the sun, you know. And, and uh, they traveled to a southern state and they were posting on Facebook one time, I cannot believe how nice the people are here. What is going on? It's not like that in the north. I don't know if you know that. East Coast people are different than Midwest people. I mean, there are people who love Jesus and love the Chiefs, and there are people who don't love Jesus and love the Raiders. I mean, it's just a, <laughs> there's just a difference, right? There's just, it's a common human reality that there are people that are different than us. But the common human problem is how we make it worse, and the way that we make it worse is that we decide, okay, well, the way we deal with that is that we, we double down on our tribes, and we war with each other. And we're in a place where it's very, very difficult for us to listen to anyone who doesn't agree with us. When I was a boy growing up in Omaha, Nebraska, my boyhood elementary age, young, born in Africa, moved to Nebraska in my elementary years, and I was introduced to uh, two, different, two different gangs, the Bloods and the Crips. Do you know about the Bloods and the Crips? Uh, you, you recognize them because the bloods wear red, and you recognize the crips because the crips wear blue. And if you wear red and you go where it's blue, they will shoot you. <laughs> and if you go, if you wear blue and go where it's red, you will soon be dead. That's how that kind of works. And you say, well, we don't do that. Right? I mean, I, I, in the news is coming up this you know, conversation about there's a new wave and we're going to institute the masks. And I mean, everybody's hackles are up, right? We've decided who our tribes are and who we're going to... And, and it's, here's what's happening. It's like there's a fault line happening. I got a picture here of a fault line you know, on a road that's like making the road undrivable, but maybe you've seen pictures of the fault lines between continents, how things are being pushed apart. You see, that's the common human response to the common human reality is like, I got to decide which tribe I'm on. And so anytime someone else does something good, because, and if they're not from our tribe, we write them off. Or we think it's our job, like the disciples, to stop them. I want to tell you what the people of Jesus do. This is what Christians do. We don't write people off. We bless them. The maybe most famous parable Jesus tells is the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'll talk about it more in a minute. But the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, Jesus, uh, Jesus says that there's a person who's not like another person. And what that person does who's not like the other person is he goes and he 
helps that person, even though that person is not from his tribe. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives this beautiful teaching on how to resolve conflict. And I, I think a lot of human conflict would be resolved if we could go find what Jesus says in Matthew 18. And, and Jesus gives these steps, you know, go to the person and if they, you convince them of what happened and how they hurt you or sinned against you, then maybe you win them over. And if you don't, then bring someone else who's trusted and try and work this through to reconciliation. And there's this whole process. And then Jesus says, and if you can't win them over, he says, then treat them like you would a tax collector and a sinner. Have you read that in the gospel of Matthew, 8, Matthew 18? Have you read that? And sometimes we read that and we go, oh, I see. You're supposed to completely write them off. No. Nope. If you pay attention to the ministry of Jesus at all, how does Jesus treat the tax collectors and the sinners? He loves them and blesses them. I was thinking about this just a little bit and I thought maybe there's a way we could make this a little bit more practical. And, and I, uh, one of the things that I both love to do as a pastor and also hate to do as a pastor is to do funerals. I love that I get to be there for a family and help them in a moment of deep grief. And I also hate that death exists. So I love the gospel. There's hope beyond now. And, and every time there's a funeral, it just almost without fail, somebody, some someones or some multiple someones will stand up and they'll They'll eulogize the person who's in the casket or who's been cremated. And do you know what the word eulogy means? It just means it's two words put together. You, logos, good words. You just, they stand up and you say good words. And I, I've started to have this thing inside of me. I, I think they're saying all these wonderful things about that person. I wonder if they ever said that to the person while they were alive. And I've been trying to, in my brain, like, could we start some kind of campaign that's like, say, say the good words now? You know, some, could we have some campaign? And I've never been quite able to work that out in my mind, but it's, we, we do it on, at the end of the service. We bless you. We give you good words. What if this week, someone that you don't necessarily agree with, you were to bless them with your words? You were to say some good words to them? What if you have someone in your life, you just haven't said something that you appreciate about them, and you just send them a text? Think, I mean, take, spend 30 seconds. I, I promise you this will make their day, make their week, make their month, make their year. You think for 30 seconds about the impact of someone in your life, and you send them a text message and say, I just wanted you to know, this is what I think of you, and you mean so much to me, and thank you so much. Send. You will bless them. That's what Christians do. We're people who bless. So if you've got something in you that you're like, well, I, don't, I can't say that because they might get a big head. No, no, no one has ever died of, or, or, or died of too much encouragement, right? Just say the good words right now. We don't write people off, we bless them. Then how do we respond to people who don't agree with us? The next scene, uh, Luke 9, verse 51 to 55. The time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Notice what the disciples do. When the disciples John and James saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Again, the common human reality is that there are groups of people that we don't agree with 
if you dig into that story of the Good Samaritan, what you find out is the, what, what the Jesus is saying is he's there, there are groups of people who hated each other. I mean, you have to put it in whole context there. It would be like the good drug runner who found a border patrol agent and took care of him. It would be like the good trans activist who rescued the MAGA Republican. He's like, oh, your red hat fell off. Here, let me get it back on. Or it'd be the good MAGA Republican who rescued the trans activist and said, oh, I'm sorry, your skirts, let me pull that down for you. Take the most shocking and polarized categories that you can come up with. This is what, this is what Jesus is trying to paint. He's trying to paint this picture. That there are people in the world that you don't agree with. And the disciples' response, again, is the common human response when we're around people we don't agree with. They basically say, let's light them up, Jesus. Now, i got to ask you, when you believe someone is wrong, I mean, not, not kind of wrong, but dead wrong, what is the response in your heart of hearts? And if you're looking for a sign that you don't have Jesus' interests at heart, it's here in the disciples' response. Just light them up. They deserve it. Now, I don't want you to miss what Jesus does. Jesus turns and rebukes them. It's a very strong word in the original language. It's what God does to the Red Sea in the Old Testament. He tells the waters to rebuke. He's like, move, be gone. It's a word really only God can use. Jesus, no! That's not how my way, that's not my way in the world. No, that's not what I do. We don't, here's, here's what we do as Christians. We don't light people up. We love our enemies. If I asked you the question, what is it that sets Christians apart from other people? And if you were to say, well, I think, you know, I think it's love. That's not exactly right. If you go to Jesus' uh, main teaching of his summary of his message in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, he says, uh, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus says, okay, listen, even, even the Taliban go to a barbecue and slap each other on the back. And another place, Jesus says, like, what is it, what good is it if you love the people who love you? Like, what's that? How are, you, how are you different than anybody? No, no, my followers do something different. We love our enemies. So what sets Christians apart? Well, if you said love, it's kind of half right. Here's what sets Christians apart from any other religion. It's enemy love. We don't light people up. We love our enemies. Now this week, who's your enemy? Who are you going to love? Now, what's the context we do this all in? That's the passage that I read to you. I won't read you the whole passage, but it's in verse 52. Jesus is saying to another man, he says, follow me. This, this is the context we do all this in. We're following Jesus. That's why we would do any of these things. It's not, not, they don't sound like good ideas to us. We just, we're doing them because we're following Jesus. And, and there's this misnomer that goes around in people that you can have priorities in life, and you can't actually operate in the world with multiple priorities. You can have things that are important to you, but you can't have multiple priorities at the same time. You always have to pick one specific priority. 
I was, a, a number of months ago, my son and I were driving home on Sunday down Kellogg, and I heard a pop, and my tire had blown. And I'm driving down Kellogg, you know, it's busy, and, and I, I, my son's way past this, so I won't say which one it was, but well, my kids are way past this, but you remember when your kids were really little, and they would say to you, I've really got to go to the bathroom. Do you remember that? And when that happened, you're like, find a bathroom, right? That's the priority. I, I, if on, in that moment, if my son had been little and he'd been in the back seat and he'd said, Dad, I've got to go to the bathroom, I would have just said, Son, go ahead, because my priority is getting this car off the road. Right? You can only, you can only pick one priority at a time. You can't have two priorities. You have to pick the priority. And many people don't live with a sense of priority. They live their life on accident. They live the, I've told this to you before, they live the same year 10 times. Instead of 10 years of growth, they, growth, they just live the same year 10 times in a row. What's the difference? Someone who lives with a priority. And the priority for a follower of Jesus is following Jesus. Whatever Jesus does, we do. It's the context for everything in our life As a Christian, it's following Jesus. So when people look at us and they say, why in the world would you give 10% of your income to a local church? That makes no sense. Who would do that? Think about the vacations you could go on. Why would you think about the things you could buy? Why would you do that? We say, well, our priority, my priority in life is following Jesus. When people say, why do you come to your job and why do you put up with junk from other people and not give it back to them? And why are you a a reconciler and you bring people to, I don't understand. Like, don't you see what that person did to you? And you go, okay, I get it. Yeah, it was hurtful. Yeah, it was wrong. But I'm here to reconcile and forgive. And and they go, why would you do that? You know what we say? Because we, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. It's the priority of my life. Why do I forgive somebody? Why? Why would I ever do that? Because I'm following Jesus. Following Jesus is the priority of our life. That's why we would do any of these things. Now, why would you follow Jesus? Well, the reason that you would follow any other leader is because of the character that they have and what they can do. How do you ascertain someone's character. I think it's seen most evidently in two areas. Number one, it's seen when someone is treated in a way that they don't deserve, when someone hurts them. So I think about these three things here. Jesus was not served. Jesus was not blessed. Jesus was not loved. He was nailed to a cross. What does Jesus do in that moment? You know this, right? In the Gospels, they're on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The cross tells us what the character of God is like. It's a revelation. God has character. And then you find character in in how someone treats people who can't repay them. And here's the king of the universe who has everything at his disposal and he stoops down to the lowest of the low and he touches them. It's not inconsequential in all the gospels, especially in Luke, when Jesus sees a leper, a leper's coming down and in that day you you literally in the Mosaic law you had to shout out, unclean, unclean. 
to let people know they couldn't touch you and you went your whole life without touch. It's not inconsequential. It's not a mistake. You'll you read it and you'll see it. When Jesus would see a leper and Luke will say, and he reached out his hand and touched the man. So the king of everything does everything for people who can give him nothing. God has character. And so Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, lived the life that you and I want. And then he offered his life on a cross. And then he rose again from the dead. Why? So now you can follow him. You can be a person. Instead of grabbing your spot, you serve. Why? Because you had someone serve you. Instead of lighting people up, you can love your enemies. Why? Because God loved you when you were his enemy. That's why we do all the things that we do. And so I just, I wonder what it is that you need to do today. I wonder what your response needs to be. I don't know if you're in a place where you are feeling like, I'm not sure how valuable I am. I'm not I'm not sure there is enough to go around. I, I've got to grab my spot, and you're just clamoring. You're, like, it's just, you're in a moment in your a season in your life. You're like, I've got to grab it. It's going to go away. You might be in the middle of some things, and it's, it's more pronounced, I think, in families than even in friends, but when people who are different than us, and we, we write them off, and you might be right in the middle of that and things have been said over the last months, couple of years, last cycle of divisiveness in our world and you're at odds with somebody and you're not sure what you need to do and the thing that you need to do, your follower of Jesus, is you need to figure out how do I bless them? How do I give them some good words right now and repair this? You might be in a moment where you feel like, you know, kind of self-righteous about the fact that you need to light some people up and let them know where they're wrong and tell, tell them how they've got it all wrong. And you need, you're, the, you're the one God sent them into their life to tell them how wrong they are. And you're just lighting people up left and right. And I, I just want to tell you, that's not how Jesus did it. The people he told off were the religious people, <laughs> the religious leaders like me. So maybe this week what you need to do is you go, I've got someone who they're, they're in the category of enemy and I need to figure out how to love them. And this week, this week, tomorrow in that meeting, Wednesday when you're doing an on-site, Thursday when they say that thing, they're going to send you an email and you just know they're going to... You're, you're going to say, okay, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to love my enemy. Why? Jesus did all that for me. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. And I want to pray for you. I want to invite you to have your own moment. No one's looking at you. They're having their own moment. They're thinking about them. And I want to invite you, if you're in the room with us, to bow your head, close your eyes. Where's the nudge on your mind and heart 
my experience with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit's gentle. The Holy Spirit doesn't come in with condemnation. The Holy Spirit doesn't come in and say, you need to do better, you're a failure, pick it up. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's gentle and nudges us towards the things that need healing. So where's the nudge? Lord, we want your Spirit to speak to us. Nudge us where we need to be nudged. Thank you, Jesus, that you came into a world that didn't love you but crucified you. You came into a world that didn't bless you but cursed you. And you didn't respond in kind. And none of us have the ability in ourselves to respond the same way unless we tap into your spirit, into your power. And so we want that this morning. Show us again what you did for us on the cross. Show us again your character, the kind of person that you are. Remind us again about the power of the resurrection to give us hope and a new life and a new start. Lord, we want that. We need that. We ask for that in your name. All God's people said, amen.